Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I'm Naki Spalding and we are finishing up chapter four today. So 1 John chapter four, verses seven through 21. 1 John chapter four, verses seven through 21. So let's jump right in. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, wow. Okay, so true love, true love is... In this passage, this is amazing. So, uh, you know, you <laughs> obviously the whole portion of these is about love. And so specifically the word love, some iteration of, agape, you know, agape, agape toss, agape toy, agapomen, like love or some iteration of love is used 29 times in these 14 verses. It's like the, the, the condensing of love is like, you, you know, if you were just trying to find like, where would you go to talk about love in the Bible? This would be one of the main places that you would go. You'd certainly go to a place of love is patient, love is kind, does not boast, does not, you know, you'd look at Paul's writings as well. You would look at, you know, you certainly you would look at Jesus who's the embodiment of love. But this is like, wow, this is an incredibly uh, loving, infused part of the scriptures. And so I I, I love, <laughs> I love this passage. I do. I um I love it. And so for today's, uh, what do we call this, a podcast? Yeah, we'll call it, yeah, for today's podcast, for today's, I was going to say for today's lesson, but that sounds weird. Uh, what we're going to do is I, I want to walk you through what I would do if I were approaching this text for the first time and, and I were trying to study it as a Bible study person. And so what I would do is I would get out a journal. I would write the word love at the top of it, probably in all caps, because I always write in all caps. And then I would just start writing all the things that we learn about love, like all, like all of them, like all 29 times. And I would start to just say, okay, what is, like this is, if you were studying the, the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs for the very first time, what I would do is I would get a journal 
or, you know, whatever, writing utensil that you want. And then I would write wisdom on one page and I would write foolishness or folly on the other. And then again, I would literally just go through and be like, what do we learn about wisdom? What do we learn about foolishness and folly? And then you would, at the end of it, have a really good Bible study lesson. And so today's, if we were to take the word love, write it at the top and go through all 29 instances. And then what I would do is I would begin to synthesize that and say, okay, there seems to be some re-emerging patterns or an argument that John's making about love. So what are the what are the main points? That's what I would do is I would I would try and figure out like take the 29 and condense it down to maybe there's one big idea, maybe two, maybe three, maybe 10. I don't know. I, but just try and say, okay, is there some redundancy here? And redundancy in scripture is a good thing. Anytime God wants to say something, when when an author says something multiple times, that is not that is not redundant in the sense that he's a bad writer. Don't you know you've already said it? It is a mechanism in the ancient languages to, to intensify it, to bring it forward, to say this is so important, it, it bears being worth repeating. And so that's what I would do. I would say, okay, let's put love at the top. Let's do that. And so I've done this. This is literally what, I, what I've done. And so I'm going to tell you the three big ideas that I pull out of this. And so, and then fun, fun. This is just for free. For those of you who want to be Bible teachers, then what I would do is I would take those three points would be my three main points. So I'd start with like an intro story, uh, something about love or a quote or something to get people interested in the topic. And then I would like do a little segue of like, so what does that story have to do with the Bible? Well, you'd be surprised that in First John chapter 4, da, 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 Jesus talks about love. And then I go, so what does God teach us about love? Point number one, boom. And then I would have my point number one, I would flesh it out. Point number two, point number three. And then my conclusion, I would just remind people what I already said. And then I would land the plane. So, <laughs> Yeah. All right. So that's that's what I would do if I were teaching it on a stage somewhere. So feel free to steal all these ideas, guys. They're for free. So, uh, But anyways, here are the three big ideas I think that you can distill out. Um, and then I checked these with John Stott and other commentators, and they agreed. And so it's fun when we all agree. And so the first one is this, is that God is love. John says this more than once here. He he. He is wanting to drive home this idea of who God is. And he says it. He says, look, God is love. And so what what does that mean for us? Well, his attributes are the is the base for his action. Okay, so let me let me flesh that out. We can say the psalmist in Psalm 119 says that God is good and that God does good. And that's a phrase that I repeat all the time. It's one of the things that I repeat to myself when it seems as if something I'm reading in scripture is hard to bear. Um, I, I remind myself, no, God is good and God does good. So if whatever I'm reading seems to violate that, then I need to keep digging in because I don't understand it. It's not that my understanding is to violate these things about God. And so God God has these attributes. The triune, the Trinity has these attributes that are true of God always at all times. Attributes like there's, if you really want to get technical, we call some of them incommunicable attributes, which means that we as humans, though we are made in God's image, are not able to, to, we are not able to live out these attributes because of our limited nature being the creation rather than the creator. And so, for example, omniscience, the all-knowingness of God, we are not omniscient. We will never be omniscient. We're not omnipresent. We're not able to be in all places at all times. We're not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful. So there are attributes of God that belong only to God. And, and 
rightfully so. If Look, if we had all the attributes God had, he is no different than us and not worthy of worship. So there are some attributes that God has and alone God has, and that makes him glorious and wonderful and beautiful. Then there are other attributes we call them communicable, and we call them communicable because we are able to image them. We are able to, in some ways, poorly, brokenly, creaturely, but in reality and truly able to image them, such as God is loving, God is good, God is merciful, God is just. These are all things that we should endeavor to be about. Well, God's attributes set the stage for God's actions. That's what I mean by that is God is love. So God doesn't just love, like he is love. And I, and then that's why you see God acting in love in the world is because his actions and his attributes hold hands. They don't divorce from themselves. So God is not sometimes loving. He is always loving because if he, his actions stem from his attributes. So if he were to stop being loving, then that, then that would be a violation of who God is in the same way. Like God is always just. So you see God acting justly, but he is never not just, which is why he will never not deal with you justly. He will never not deal with you mercifully. He will never not deal with you with goodness and mercy and all these things. And so it it behooves us to want to study, it behoove ourselves to want to study the attributes of God. Like you want to know what God is like because then you can guarantee and promise yourself and remind yourself that you will always expect God to deal with you in accordance to his attributes. So what does that mean for us that God is love? It means that if you take a moment real quick and you think about the absolute worst moment of your life, um, maybe, maybe a time when you've sinned, Maybe a time when you ended up in the bed of someone you shouldn't have been with. Maybe a time that you said something you shouldn't have. Maybe a time where you um, ate something or smoked something or watched something. Or um, You need to know that although some will tell you in that moment God was not loving you, the reality is, is that in our worst moment, God does not cease to love us. And that doesn't make our egregious sin any less egregious. It doesn't. It just makes our God that much more glorious. That because he is love, he never ceases to love us. Now, do we have to get right with God the only way that we can through the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit? Yes. Yes. But it also means that God loved you before you were saved. It also means that God loves you when you're a fool. It means that God loves you no more when you are crushing it, right? You don't earn God's love. You don't earn, you don't, like, when God is merciful, he says his mercies are new every morning. Like, you don't store up mercies. You're not like, oh, Tuesday I didn't send that much, so Wednesday I've got some extras and I'm going to need these in case of a rainy day. Like, no, 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 no. God is extravagant in his action and his attributes. He is never ceasingly loving towards you. And I think we have to bathe in that. Like we have to remind ourselves of that. And so there is really good news in that God is love. Not just that God chooses to be loving at his will, but that God's action of love is grounded in that his in his essence, who God is, is love. And so that's a profound truth that I think I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out, but I'm grateful for. 
Um, so the first one is this, is that God is love. The second thing that I think John is driving home is that lovers are going to love. So y'all know hate is going to hate. You know that hate is always going to hate. But you, you know lovers are going to love. Um, John Hawkins, who's an elder at my current church and uh, a pseudo dad of sorts, he's a, he's a father figure in my life. He has these pastoral phrases that he uses pretty regularly. One of the things that he does is he asks people that are wounded and uh, or maybe are in a season of they are distraught because of poor choices they've made or they're anxious or whatever. He just always asks them, hey, have you been, were you loved well as a child? And um, you'd be amazed at how strong of a correlation there is between folks who have hit ditches and how they weren't loved well as a child. And you'd be amazed at how many people who even were loved well as a child who still found the ditch because we are human. But there is a correlation. We, we see this in social sciences and we see this, of course, through the scriptures is that those who are loved well as children tend to have greater confidence. They tend to have greater success. They tend to be a little bit more self-controlled and things like that. And that's because love has a tendency to create more love. And so it's a really fun thing that John does in this passage. He uses a play on the word agapao or agape, this word for love. And so what he says is um, agapetoi, which is the loved ones, the beloved, agapomen, which is his way of saying the loved ones love one another. Agapetoi, agapomen. He's using a play off of the agape word to say, look, if you are loved, you will then love others. The loved ones love one another is what he's saying. And it's a really beautiful thing. And it fits in the pattern that we've said before on this podcast, or if I haven't said it, I should have already, that the indicative always precedes the imperative. The indicative being statements of fact, statements of who you are. These are just true things about you. They precede the imperative, what you should do. So who you are, you are the loved one. You are beloved by God. You, the answer is where you loved well as a child in a little tongue in cheek way, your parents might not have loved you well, but you have never in your moment faced a single solitary nanosecond where God has not loved you. So the loved ones, people who know that, people who understand how they're deeply loved by God are then able to love others. That the indicative, because you are loved, the imperative, go love others. The agapetoi will always agapomen. And why is that? It's because love begets. It's something I say often, love begets love. We see this all the time, boy meets girl and they fall in love. Well, that love begets a relationship, which begets a marriage, which begets a family, which begets a legacy, right? That love has a tendency to overflow and create more love. Love is an expansive, exponential tool of ours. And so we should never be stingy with our love. If the first point is true that God is love and the second point is that loved ones then love, we can be extravagant in our love because we get to go back to the source over and over and over and over again. And God's never like, you again? I gave you four buckets of love yesterday. Who are you giving them to? Surely they're not worth that much love. And God, no, God comes out and he goes, four buckets, take a thousand, take a million. Just spread it all over the place. Get it mushy kind of love, like fertilize your garden with love. Just love everyone. Be extravagant in your love. Now, don't be foolish. Like love doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries. Love doesn't mean that we aren't uh, able to set up healthy relationships. But we should be extravagant in our love to our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our family, the people. Like every, We should be extravagant in our love. Wise. Wise. 
have boundaries, guys. I am not I am not saying be codependent. What I'm saying is is because we are loved, the indicative of we are loved should lead to the imperative that we love extravagantly. So the first part, God is love. Second one, love's going to love. And the third one is this, is that love vanquishes fear. And this is, mm, I just love this. I love that John understands that, hey, and let me be really pastoral with you. Let me tell you that God is love. Like, I'm going to build this like theological argument that God is love. And then there's going to be this, um, this sort of then indicative, like this pastor, like go do this in light of it. So like, here's a theological truth. And then here's a result of it that you would go and love others. And then this really pastoral sweet moment, again, where Pastor John grabs your cheeks and lifts your face to his and he says, listen to me. If you know that God is love, and if you are loving others, then you do not need to be fearful. That love casts out fear. And what he's saying here is that if you know you are beloved of God, then you can eagerly look forward to the day when you will see your Savior face to face. That if you know that you're beloved by God, then you don't come hesitantly hesitantly into the throne room of grace. That when you come and pray, you run into the courtyard of your Father. That if you know you're beloved by your Father, if you know that, then you don't, you don't hesitate toward God. You don't hide your face in shame toward God. You don't wonder, does he love me back? You don't think, did I lose his love? Did I gain his love? If you know deep down inside you're beloved by God and you're grounded in the theological truth that there's never been a moment of your life that God stopped loving you, then you delight in your father and you run to him without fear. You will never run to your father and he says, get away from me. You will never run to your father and he says, you again? You will never run to your father and go, I know what you did. Now, look, are there consequences for sin? Of course there are. Of course, there are natural consequences for our sin. There's broken relationship. It's havoc. It wreaks havoc. But even after your worst moment, you can still skip through the courtyard of your father and come to him and say, I love you. And you know what he's going to say back? I love you more. This is a beautiful passage. And I don't want it to be over-sentimentalized like in like Valentine's Day, true love. It is, it is a profound theological truth. It is our inheritance as believers. It is something that I think we should spend the rest of our life reminding each other of, that God is love and that in, and that in light of us being so loved, we should go out and love others deeply, profoundly, extravagantly, and then... If you know that you have the delight of your father, then, wow, the access you have, the gift that you've been given, the, the beauty that is the love of God that's saved for you and given to you without end, without condition, without, um, there's no ties on this. And so what's our big so what? Well, I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be something to do with love. I, uh, I, I think... Um, I'm not big on telling people what to do, but I think I am going to do this today. I think, um, yeah, I think the SOA is maybe, I don't know, flip through your Instagram account, look through your phone, look through your text messages, and maybe check on somebody. Maybe just remind them that God loves them. Maybe that's a good SOA for us. And so actually I'm going to challenge myself to do the same. I'm going I'm to hit stop on this recording, and I'm going to pick up my phone, and I'm going to remind somebody that God loves them because I, I think we need more of that. I think we need more of that. All right, friends, if nobody's told you today that they love you, (laughs) I do. But, oh, my goodness, if there was ever a passage that justifies my tagline and telling you all every single day that God loves you, it's today. So, 
God loves you. God loves you. God loves you extravagantly, intimately, beautifully, and without end. Peace out, friends.